Welcome to a What's Working in Washington Extra. Often we're privy to discussions that are timely, and we use these extra segments to help our listeners make sense of an important topical issue. Today, how do business people make sense of the first four months of the Trump administration? What have we learned, and what can we expect? Taking stock of where we are 100 days plus into the Trump administration, healthcare, taxes, regulation, small businesses, immigration are all issues that have come to the fore. How they unfold are going to affect how business is done in Washington and around the country. We're joined by a number of experts now. We're going to provide their perspectives here in the studio. Michael Andrews, a former congressman. Bob Ehrlich is former governor of the state of Maryland. And Richard Levick is the CEO of Levick. It has been a highly engaging time, hasn't it, with the Trump administration. Let's start by trying to unpack it. Michael, I'll begin with you. What's your sense of this administration? Is there a method to the madness? I think there is. The problem is the... uh... The, the landscape they're playing on is different than it's been in the past, and it makes it very, very, very hard to push things forward. We've seen that in health care. We're about to see it in tax reform. Building something that's sustainable is the real challenge, not simply passing something by three or four votes. And that has yet to be evidenced by the Trump administration, the ability to reach out and form that kind of coalition. And to be successful for long term, Uh, Trump is going to have to be able to do that himself. It's going to come from presidential leadership and not from within the Congress. What do you think about that, Governor Ehrlich? Well, Mike and I are are dinosaurs, although he's an older dinosaur than me. Not Uh, that much. Not that much, (laughs) but but as far as our experience in the House, Mike was there uh, during a very historic and successful time, 1980s. Uh, I was historic tax reform. And we like to talk, Mike and I do a lot of speaking together in public forums, and we like to talk about the Rostenkowskis and the Jack Kemp's and the Jim Bakers and the and, and the Tip O'Neill's and, and the Ronald Reagan's. And, and it was a different time is the point. It was a time where you could get many members of the minority party to support your bill on final passage. It was a time where people really sat down on Capitol Hill. It was a time of real presidential leadership, real presidential chief of staff and president leadership. Uh, fast forward to today, to the hyperpartisanship of the new millennium, where uh, those conservative Democrats, and you were one of them, Mike, you were those moderate conservative Southern Democrats, really the third party honest brokers uh, that, that, that President Reagan and President Bush had to deal with, with the real power, and quite frankly, to offset liberal Democrats in the House. Those folks are gone, those those moderate to conservative Democrats, wiped out through reapportionment and and. and through uh, uh, line drawing, uh, innovative line drawing by state legislatures. And you have all the Northeastern Republicans, all the liberal or moderate Northeastern Republicans wiped out. You have conservative Republicans and and liberal Democrats in a very partisan, polarizing environment with a polarizing president. So you're not going to get what we lived and what we hope, what we hope the country is about. But right now we have to deal with the the, the present. Uh, I am pretty bullish on... Uh, it might appear chaotic, but it's also chaos with a design. Uh, if you understand the art of the deal, if you understand the, the president, if you follow his pre-politics talks, uh, sort of the core issues for him, they haven't changed. Mm. And so I would just add this. I would say trying to understand what's going on, you look at health care and tax reform, they're have-tos. They were, they were big-time promises during the campaign. 
uh, immigration, the third, have to, quite frankly, and, and, and veterans and sort of defense would be the fourth. Everything else is somewhat negotiable. He's going to be very flexible. It is the art of the deal. He is not particularly a philosophical politician, nor is he pledged life and blood to the Republican Party. A major part of his base is crossover working class Democrats who came out with him in, in big numbers. Which is going to be very interesting as things unfold, and we're going to talk where we're going to talk about that in a little while. Richard Levick, it, it does seem to me, speaking as a businessman who's run various businesses, is there anything particularly wrong with a legislative process that depends upon a slim majority but just gets stuff done? In other words, as a business guy, should I be unhappy about the Trump administration's approach to legislation? Well, you know, a couple of thoughts here, and I really hope that uh, we can all be as optimistic as the governor here is six months, a year uh, down down the road. I'm a little more cynical here in terms of what I'm seeing. There's no question that it's chaos. The question is, is there order to the chaos? I think what we're seeing instantly in Washington, certainly in public affairs, certainly in lobbying, we're seeing everyone holding onto their pocketbooks. Nation states do not want to be lobbying the government right now, they don't know where the goal line is. Regulated industries are holding on to their pocketbooks. Where's the regulation going to be? So in Washington, we're seeing a slowdown that's significant, and it's trickling down all the way to the restaurants, which are seeing uh, a reduction in business. The question is, does this administration get its footing back so that Washington can work? And if we go to tax cuts anywhere close to the kind of draconian cuts that this president is talking about, we're talking likely about a substantial decline in the number of federal employees, which would also have a huge impact on this area. So I agree. I understand all that. But I'm, I'm getting at something else, which is if I'm a, if I'm an American who's out of a point where just I just want the government to work, will, will they ultimately care six months or a year or two years from now? If the Republican majority just rams a bunch of, you know. Can I reframe the question? Please. Do they care whether something is done by executive order rather than the traditional <laughs> pass a bill and go to conference and all that sort of good stuff? I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Well, Governor Ehrlich, that's a good point. Uh, Congressman Andrews, is there a right way to win or does it matter ultimately? Well, I, there's if only occurs? one way to win on the great big issues of our day, whether it's tax reform or health care. And that's with the strong leadership of the president and with some bipartisanship. And we see none of that yet. Strong leadership, we're not sure in just which direction it's headed, but no bipartisanship. And the lessons of the last decade really tell us what the consequences are. It's not sustainable if you're trying to reform the tax code or change health care in this country. Gigantically layered and complex issues. You can't do it unless you pull different pieces together. And thus far, the Congress has not been able to do that. And so, we've seen the results. So, Congressman Andrews, and from your perspective, and, and I'll, I'll admit I'm, I'm sympathetic with the viewpoint, this country is much better off when we, when we reach consensus and we govern from the middle, is what I'm hearing. Right. And there's the, one, of the, one point that's worth taking is that the Congress has changed. Uh, Bob is certainly right. Uh, because of redistricting and gerrymandering, there's not a big middle to work with right now in the Congress. And that makes it difficult for any president or any leadership that's trying to pull something together. And that's what makes these margins so narrow and makes the bills so controversial and so partisan to begin with. Governor Ehrlich, what do you think? Again, I, Mike and I agree. I mean, American history teaches that big things get done in Washington when there's at least a degree of bipartisanship. We're talking about uh, the great entitlements 
Medicare, Medicaid votes in the past, civil rights, uh, voting rights, you name it. But again, I go back to the, today's reality. Uh, Mike just talked about the fact that, and this isn't going to change anytime soon, because of um, voting rights districts, the Supreme Court decisions, the propensity of state legislatures to draw state lines, the the sort of uh, us versus them nature of politics as practiced today in D.C. as opposed to maybe 25 years ago, you're not going to get this. Uh, you know, the Democrats will say, well, geez, we've been left out, uh, just like the Republicans said under Barack Obama. Well, under Barack Obama, you had a polarizing, ultra-liberal, uber-liberal president who was interested in remaking, it, through his own words, in, in transforming America. You now have this sort of nationalistic populist who – who will take support from anywhere, particularly working class folks, his base, his base that delivered him this election in those heretofore blue states, those Rust, uh, Rust Belt states in the Midwest. And he's serious about his views as well. Now, he happens to have a Republican uh, label these days. For the most part, for 75 percent of not just the rhetoric, but the policy will be mainstream Republican. But the other 25 percent has very little relationship to traditional Republican positions. Richard Levick, you're nodding a lot. I think that this is resonating with you. Well, you know, a couple of thoughts here. You raised a binary question. Are we better off with some sort of nonpartisan approach or ramming through? I'm not sure that it's either or. We haven't seen ramming through be effective yet. Certainly the House passing the uh, Health Care Act, uh, it doesn't mean anything. It hasn't passed the Senate where it probably all gets started again. If we look where at- Democrats are going to play, by the way, in well, the Senate. There's no question. Absolutely. On tax reform, absolutely. And, 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 and health. Yeah. Yes. So if we there's look going to be a big effort to pull yeah. a bipartisan group together in the, in the Senate. Because you have more modern Senate Democrats. And it's the more deliberative uh, yes. process. But the question, We're come back to that. Uh, the, you know, the question here, if you look historically, we look from Lincoln with his team of rivals, Johnson with his uh, need in the shared hotel as a young staffer to take five showers in the morning, five in the afternoon. Why? Because he got to know every member of both parties' staffs and had relationships all the way and through. And he was really clean. He was very clean. Um, the and I'm just going to leave that uh, as it stands. But then, then and you go all the way through Reagan, where you had the Kennedy staffer would bring down at night to, to Kennedy's second office the single malt scotch. And there, Reagan, Tip O'Neill, and uh, uh, Senator Kennedy would talk about melding their differences, how we're going to get something done. We don't see that anymore. And I think not only have we lost as a result soft power, increasingly losing soft power internationally, but domestically as well. All, all a good point. Uh, there's one other thing, too. We have to realize we're in the first inning here. We really haven't seen the impact of this bill that just passed. The health care bill. The health care bill. Mm -hmm. If 24 million people lose their health care, we have a different landscape all of a sudden. And that's yet to be seen. And so we can't, it's hard to draw too many fast conclusions about this until we see the results. I want to come back to healthcare in a moment, but I want to remind everybody you're listening to What's Working in Washington Extra. We're discussing a national issue with experts right here in D.C. We're joined by Congressman Michael Andrews, former Governor Robert Ehrlich, and uh, Richard Levick of Levick Communications. You got into it a moment ago when we started to talk about healthcare. So let's start to go out. If the Democrats are going to engage in healthcare, how is the legislation going to change? Do you have any projections? It's going to be really hard. Uh, Obamacare, left to its own devices, will wither. Literally, it's been withering. Uh, more, more than half the co-ops are already belly up. 
You've seen what the insurers are doing, the carriers. They're pulling out big time. One-third of every, of all the subdivisions in the country now have are left with one carrier. No more subsidies from Washington means death for Obamacare is the bottom line. But let me go back to sort of – and this is a philosophical issue. Mike talked about $24 million and all that. Well, because they couldn't get single payer, basically what Obamacare did was open up Medicaid. And, and whether what's the number, Mike? 9 million, 11 million, 13 million people signed up for Medicaid, and some of the governors took and some of the governors didn't. And my problem with this is that was sort of a replacement for the inability to get single payer, but people forget why Medicaid came about in the first place. Medicaid was about a federal subsidy to help poor women with children and people with disabilities, not about able-bodied people who can go out and get a job. This is a big philosophical clash. It is a philosophical clash. So if clash. you're talking about moving those lines, who qualifies? Nobody has a problem with the original t- intent. If you're talking about able-bodied people, you know, sort of the working poor, how much Medicaid subsidy they should get, you're going to start, or moving it into the uh, working class folks, you're going to have an argument, particularly from Republicans. Well, you're putting forward a, a very strong advocacy position. I'm sure I could get somebody in the room to push back, which is the whole issue, the whole essence of the issue. What I'm wondering about, guys, is as you look forward uh, for businesses and, and employees and people who are thinking about this issue, there seems to be general agreement among the three of you that what comes out of the Senate is not going to be what came out of the health, uh, the House. That's absolutely. And, and, so how's it going to be different? Well, we don't know exactly how okay. it's going to be different. And one good thing about that is we don't know yet. In 1986, when tax reform happened, lobbyists stormed the Hill like the British did in 1814 and burned the Capitol. That has, we've kept that from happening in the Senate. We really don't know the details yet because they've kept it behind doors. The leadership of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, Senator Hatch, Senator Wyden, are working together. We may really see a bipartisan bill that looks nothing like what the House has produced on health care. Assuming that the Senate comes out with a different bill, where is this all going to, and how do you think uh, tax reform is going to be affected by these conversations? Where do we think tax reform is? There's been, before last week, there was this school of thought, and we've talked about it among ourselves. If Trump wants a, a, a relatively easy, quicker win, throw a skinny fastball up to the hill. Do just do, uh, Mike, just do corporate income tax and maybe repatriation and and maybe... And uh, not pay for and, it, and, make and it maybe, revenue. Well, nobody cared about paying for, for uh, right. stimulus either, but so let's not... But, but my, we'll my use dynamic was, scoring, which President George H.W. Bush called voodoo well, economics. But, but, but before that, before that, he also lost by saying that. Um, <laughs> not because of that. The I bottom line... Not well, because of voodoo economics. But the bottom line, we're talking about voodoo, we're talking about capitalism. But bottom line, you're talking about stimulating the economy so small business people can go to the bank and will get some Dodd-Frank relief finally, and they're going to be able to get dollars and go open up their business. That's trickle down. I support it. Okay. But, the, but the bottom line is this. If they ultimately come up with a skinnier version, Mike, and you're the tax expert here, that could be a political win because they got quote-unquote tax reform, but it's not going to be the whole preference elimination, the big debate on state and local taxes, sort of a talk about a fastball right at the northeast uh, uh legislators on that one how many preferences are, we, are you going to eliminate how many brackets are you going to end up with what's the corporate income tax rate going to be and are you going to repatriate mike they're the big questions yeah, I, I, you know i think you're just kind of outlining here's what's going to happen they're going to start big mm-hmm. and then they're going to end up really small if they stay at this same kind of strategy of leaving democrats out writing it themselves and pushing it through uh yeah you can 
You can get around reconciliation by passing anything you want and spend any money you want, and then it expires in 10 years. And they can call it tax reform. And I suspect at the end of the day, that's what they're more likely to do than pass genuine tax reform, the sustainable past a decade. How would you describe for our listeners who don't necessarily know the difference, the difference between cutting taxes and tax reform in your mind, Congressman Andrews? There are taxes that need to be changed. There are taxes that need to be eliminated. There are taxes that could probably stand to be raised to help pay for the balance, make it fair, broaden the base, cut taxes on individuals. Those are worthy goals. The real challenge is not what tax you cut, but how you pay for it. It's really important that the bill be revenue neutral. In 1986, that was the discipline. That forced everybody at the game to play by the same rule. And if you proposed a tax cut, you had to propose a way to pay for it. And that's a big philosophical divide with dynamic scoring. And, and that's where we get to dynamic scoring, because all of it is free. You just charge it on your credit card. So Kennedy's tax cuts increase revenue. Bush's tax cuts increase revenue. Reagan's tax cuts increase revenue. They're the facts. Well, I could I could bring Piccatini here. He might have a different view. There are economists that don't necessarily agree. No, with spending, spending went crazy, and that was the problem, obviously. But without the increased spending. So I'm going to turn to you, Richard. You're a small business owner like I am. It, it sounds to me like some sort of changes in taxation for small business is pretty likely here. As I read the tea leaves, how do you feel about this as a business owner? Well, certainly if we go down to 15%, I suddenly look like a genius at the end of the year in terms of looking at our uh, profit numbers. But I think, you know, the real issue here, we're in the age of mercantile activism, and that is we have an extremely active base. The Sunday after uh, President uh, Trump was inaugurated, you had 4 million people marching in the streets. We've obviously seen the, the impact of uh, the boycotts, grab your wallet, et cetera. And I raise that because if some of these big issues, uh, Michael, that you raise have a chance to become law, whether it's the elimination of uh, state and local deductions, which push everything down to the gubernatorial races and make them increasingly divisive, I think what you're going to see increasingly, and we've already seen it, but we're going to see more activism not only targeted at individual members of Congress, but also at individual businesses. And I think the words transparency... And I think the words democracy are going to take on all new meaning if we see that level of activism. But but unlike in health care, there are literally major issues in tax reform that are bipartisan. President Obama wanted to cut the corporate income tax. The, the medical device tax is the worst idea in the history of man. Not the worst idea. One of them. <laughs> well, Many Democrats. Right. History of man. Yeah, that's, that's a bad that, one. That's harsh. Well, well really you're penalizing the people who save us. Okay. Okay. That's a really bad idea. And Mike, a lot of Democrats signed on to that. Well, you need to take well. a vacation. Okay. If you're too, if you're too bound by it's Washington. It's a real bad one. <laughs> but um, uh, repatriation is a bipartisan concept as well. What, what rate do you want to come up with, however, to get those dollars offshore back? By definition, stimulus, if you're going to do an infrastructure part of this, is, is bipartisan. So there are a lot of moving parts here. Much more difficult, in my view, to pass health reform rather than tax reform because you're starting at a, a common base, much more common, I think, between the parties, even liberals and conservatives, with tax reform as opposed to health. Is there any other area, so you've identified infrastructure and taxes that are likely there'll be some movement on this year, as if we're business owners, entrepreneurs, we should think is relatively predictable. Where do we think things are going to end up with immigration? You're going to have more border enforcement. You're not going to have 
a continuous wall for eight zillion miles. You're going to have a wall and you're going to have other assets brought to it. But the bottom line, as we've seen since Trump was elected, is you're going to have a major reduction in illegal border crossings. Uh, that's certainly one, one thing you're going to have. Sanctuary cities is going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, and I, I hope the president prevails. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree with Bob about this. We, we, but we, again, let's see where we are three months from now. Let's wait 90 days and see what the ramifications are of this health care bill when it plays out on top of the debate for tax reform. Could, could Trump get a tax cut? Yeah, he can get a tax cut. Can he call it tax reform, whether it is or it isn't? Yeah, he'll do that, too. Well, I must tell you, it's been great to have your expertise here. Join us in what's working in Washington. And uh, I certainly, by listening to this, I've got a better handle on what's going to happen over the next six months. It's not just necessarily mayhem. There may be some predictability. <laughs> so Congressman Michael Andrews, Governor Robert Ulrich, and uh, Richard Levick from Levick Communications, thanks very much for joining us, and uh, we we'll hope to have you again. You've been listening to a What's Working in Washington Extra, where we take the time to unpack an issue of importance in a longer segment to really get to the bottom of it. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online contributors are Michael Hoffman, Barbara Ulrich, and Candace Pye. Music provided by two DC region bands, Two Car Living Room and The Sunbathers. If you've enjoyed this extra segment, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And please rate the podcast. It helps us spread the word about the interesting stories we're telling on What's Working in Washington and also let us know who we should be talking to on the show and if you have any ideas for extra segments we should do to unpack the issues that are important to you. Tweet us at, at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening.